you never know what might be coming around the corner. And that's the thing about this place. It all might seem normal and routine, but the truth is, the suburbs are where the craziest shit happens. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. I'm Linton once again, and we are here for the obscure, the bizarre, the unloved, the overlooked, and the underappreciated. And this is part of our spookening offering for the month of October. We've done a few up to this point. We did Magic, we did Antrim, the deadliest film ever made, and now we are moving on to Summer of 84, and we will have a couple more coming up in the remaining weeks of October. So today uh, we are doing Summer of 84 and I have a returning panel of guests. They are the same people who are on Magic. So we have Eric. Hello. Tim. Hi there. And Nate. Hey guys. So all these uh, all these gents are horror movie fans to some degree. Uh, some of them, you know, much more bigger horror junkies than others, but, uh, you know, all fans of the genre, and we're going to look at Summer of 84, which came out, I believe, in 2018, and so, yeah, I'll just say just kind of a, a brief rundown of what it is. It's a Canadian film. I actually don't have the director handy. I can track that down in a minute. There were, like, three of them. They credit it to, like, three different people. Yeah, yeah. I, I usually I usually try to Pop that in, but I think I forgot. Um, so it's a Canadian film, and I think it's the people who worked on Turbo Kid, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. Francois so, Simard, Anouk Wassel, Johan Carl Wassel. So very Canadian names. Okay. So the, uh, the crux of it is it's playing off of kind of 1980s nostalgia vibe of like kids' adventure movies. So we'll definitely be digging into this. But Stranger Things is the obvious current parallel, but that is also a show that is playing off of those same 80s kids adventure movies. And so the, the basic plot line of this is you have a group of friends who live in a small uh, suburban town, and they just kind of hang out in like a clubhouse. They go out at night to play a game they call Manhunt, where it's sort of like a hide-and-seek variation. They're about 14, 15 years old, and eventually they stumble across what they... Well, there, there, there have been some kids who've gone missing, and one of the kids believes that the kids are actually being kidnapped and killed, and that these aren't just like random missing person cases or runaways or anything like that. And so it's, it's that kid and then his group of friends stumbling into a mystery much like those 1980s kids films many of us grew up with and then the story proceeds from there so that is the crux of summer of 84 it came out two years ago and it got some buzz at some festivals and it ended up showing on shutter last year might still be on there i'm not sure but it definitely got more play once it hit shutter so this is a movie that has already gained a little bit of traction. It's something that if you're a horror fan, it's likely who have heard of it. I mean, it's it's arguably a horror thriller, 
but it, it definitely toes the line uh, for both of that. But so this is definitely one that's like, if you pay attention to horror, you've probably heard of the movie, but there's also a decent chance that you might not have sought it out yet. So we will be digging into it. So gents, what do we think of summer of 84? I, I would say the first thing I'm going to say on this movie is I don't like the comparison to Stranger Things. I, you, don't, I think, you don't like that, that I'm making it or that, because I, th- I think it's people no, no, have made no, that. I, I agree. Uh, yeah. I have Dan, when I was told about it, like Dan told me some friends of ours and, and you've said it as well. I think Stranger Things, because of how sci-fi that is, I was expecting this to go in that sort of direction. And so I had a whole different mindset for the movie initially because that was primed with Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, so this is going to turn into something that it's not going to turn into. Okay. Uh, so, and, I and, that. Yeah, and, and I found that I would liken this more to Goonies and Burbs, the Burbs. Okay. The Burbs yeah, being I, the real big one. I, see, I didn't think of the Burbs because I was very much thinking of the, the 80s kids thing. But, I mean, the Burbs does have Corey Feldman, who is big of the 80s kids movies, mm-hmm. uh, Gremlins and Goonies, and – He's also in one of the Friday Thirteenths, and was he in any other? Where he's in a big kid? Oh, he's Stand by Me. Stand by Me. Stand by Me. So, yeah. yeah so I, yeah, I could argue. You could even argue that The Burbs serves as kind of an extension of those '80s kids films, even though it's focused mostly on the adults. But Corey Feldman is kind of like he's a teenager, and I think there's a couple other teen characters. So yeah, I could see that. Um, I'll throw out. Bef- I mean, I want to hear where everybody's at. I mean, some other ones that I think, uh, you know, so Nate mentioned the Burbs. Uh, you said uh, Goonies. I mm-hmm. think It is also yes, something that's, that's mm-hmm. out there. Um, Stranger Things, but only because, the, I mean, they're, I don't feel this movie was being made to be Stranger Things. I think there's right. a good, good chance it got funded because Stranger Things was a hit, has been a hit. But yeah, they're coming from the same place. Monster Squad would be another one. And stand stand by me. And there's probably a couple others that might get will crop up as we go. So those are some of the points of reference I would say that are bleeding out through this movie. With this releasing in 2018, when did Stranger Things drop? Uh, could this have been made around the same time? The original, the first season of Stranger Things was like 2015. That sounds that sounds that? right. I yeah. Because season three just dropped last year, I think. Yeah, so, no, season, season and, three was last summer because it was taking yeah. place during the summer. The previous two came out right around Halloween. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah, I got it. So, I mean, and this movie, it's it had to have been pretty cheap to make. And so, and I can't imagine it took long to shoot. So, I mean, it, they definitely would have been, unless it like was sitting, you know, in like, it was produced but not released for it forever, but I never saw anything on that. So it, it, you know, it likely was greenlit and got produced, you know, largely because Stranger Things got big. They might have had the idea before it. Yeah. But. When I, Nate, Nate, Nate's point is good that, you know, Stranger Things is much more sci fi and fantastical, where Summer of 84 is much more grounded, uh, both in terms of the premise and the the horror of it, which you know we'll we'll talk about that as we we go, we get towards the end of the movie. But 
I think Stranger Things is still one of the better comparisons to make in terms of like, if you're going to talk about it as a story and everything, because Stranger Things is, it's, is also uh, an homage just like this is. So you can compare this to the actual eighties movies that it's take, that is clearly taking inspiration from, but Stranger Things and Summer of 84 are more similar because they both of them are backwards looking where Goonies, Burbs, Stand By Me, like those movies were not backwards looking when they were made. Where these are very, these movies are, well, Summer of 84 and Stranger Things as a show are very aware of the nostalgic value of their subject matter. So I think it makes sense to make more of a direct comparison between those two because they're coming from a very similar place, even if the the premises that are themselves are not as similar as just saying, "Oh yeah, it's just like Stranger Things," would you know lead you to believe? Eric, yeah, I mean, I, I agree that um, if you were to compare it to Stranger Things, and people would be disappointed by the lack of uh, supernatural stuff. Oh, sorry, I just meant where you where you landed on it. We, oh, we, kind of, yeah. we went a little, you know, off off of that. But yeah, I'm just curious, you know, where you're at on it. Uh, yeah, this was the second time I watched it, and I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say any more or less than the first time, but I did enjoy it quite a bit the first time. Um, I think overall, I guess my biggest nit would have been that I, I never really got the feeling that they were going to go in any other direction, but that he was the cop is actually murdering kids. Spoiler uh, alert. Sorry. <laughs> but the whole premise I mean, is I've, okay. I've, I've made it known in other episodes that we go deep into spoiler territory. So, um, so to set up the plot is, uh, you know, the main character suspects that his neighbor who is a cop is this serial killer who's going around murdering, you know, young teenage boys. Um, so the whole movie is, him and his friends investigating this on their own. And I guess it's supposed to make the audience think whether or not it's actually happening or they're just thinking that it is. And, um, you know, they do do things that the movie does play with it to make you think that it could either be he's innocent or guilty. Um, But for me, it always was, it would never have made sense for it to not be that way, I guess. I feel, I feel like there are some red herrings, though. I think there's yeah. some things they set up as possibilities. And, I mean, we can dive into that more later. But my viewing on it the first time, I was not 100% convinced that it was going to be this cop who was the serial killer. But Eric and I have both seen it before, so I'm I'm curious. And so we're coming to it this the second time, and and, and I'll say I, I enjoyed it the first time. I probably enjoyed it a little bit more the second time, um, just kind of appreciating certain things they do, and especially appreciating the ending, which we will save for a bit later. But mm-hmm. uh, but I am curious uh, since we're you know we're diving in, you know Eric's already uh, kind of popped the cherry on this that uh, the. The cop character who is played by uh, what's that Mad Men guy? Harry Crane. Harry Crane. Harry okay. Crane in the house. He's, he's played by the bespectacled Harry Crane from Mad Men. Uh, I don't have the actor's name handy. If someone wants to, uh, Ryan Summer, I think. Ryan oh, I Summer. 
No, Summer something, but I, I got his first name wrong. It doesn't matter. He'll always be Harry Crane. So anyway, he uh, he plays a really good uh, small town cop. Rich Summer. Rich Summer? Okay. He plays a really good small town cop. And, you know, he plays the part really well, but there's obviously suspicions. The the main kid, who is very much in the mold, his name's Davey, and I made some notes on this. I felt he was very much in the mold of, like, Gordy from Stand By Me, or Mike from Stranger Things, or Mikey from Goonies. He's the, like, no, quote-unquote normal, average kid. He's the, like, de facto team leader, uh, the one who's, you know, really up for the adventure, uh, so there's several of these kids that that play very much into types that we've seen in these kinds of movies and shows before. But so, yeah, he he believes that it's this cop and there's evidence that comes up that some is circumstantial. Some of it seems like it's quite likely this guy could be doing something. And then some of it along the way, it's like, oh, well, there's some explanations for some of these things. And, you know, so you as an audience member are left at least somewhat unsure. So I am curious for both Nate and Tim, since uh, you are coming to this cold, what you made of that. Well, first of all, I thought I I like everything that Rich Summers in. I don't know why I I have a soft spot for him. I I think he's a decent actor, even though he seems to play kind of dopey characters a lot, but I, I, I I don't know. I liked him a lot. Um, But uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm, I quickly, you know, thought of the burbs when I watched this, especially, you know, nosy neighbor, everybody's doing something wrong. He's trying to, you know, he's the kind of the nosy neighbor kid finds uh, somebody to obsess over. And it, I kind of felt like that was where I, I really drew that comparison. So when we were watching, when I was watching it, I I had the feeling he was going to be bad. I mean, even, even though they, they did pull some good red herrings out there, I, I just felt like I think they were trying to, to you know, go in that direction that I, I didn't have any doubt that he was doing something. I wasn't necessarily convinced he was a killer, but I knew he was involved in something. And that's where the Stranger Things kind of pulled me in a different direction. I'm like, maybe he's trying to combat something that's taking these kids. And that's kind of, and that was, there was no other evidence besides when someone says, it's kind of like Stranger Things. That's made me think that direction, so. I don't think I don't know if anybody else felt thought that at any point. Uh, not the supernatural, even though I was kind of expecting that a little bit. The Stranger Things comparison, and also the poster that has the the skeleton face on the milk carton. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I I have issues with the movie, but I do think the like it does a very good job of keeping the suspense going, and particularly when it comes to is this cop actually the killer. First of all, this movie was way ahead of the curve on All Cops Are Bastards, so props to it for that. Uh, second, I I was, I was, thought they were very smart in the way they did not try to always make it ambiguous. And they did present certain things where it was just like, well, he has to be the killer. There's no other way to explain this. Because even with those conventions of these kind of movies have trained us for those red herrings. So even though it seemed incredibly likely that he was the killer, you keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. You keep waiting for some little bit of information that will 
that will explain away all the other stuff. And they kind of think towards that towards the end with, mm-hmm. cause you know, they comment on how he's buying all this dirt and like gardening equipment. And there's more than you need for like a backyard garden. And when they're at the festival, like we find out, Oh, well he is, he was helping with some big garden project. So they even fade towards that. where like, Oh, there could be something else because that does explain a lot of the, the things we were seeing and then it immediately undercuts it with just like nope he's the fucking killer and it like the way they played with that i did think was pretty cool yeah the uh yeah. the thing uh so one of the friends um the friend's name is curtis he's got glasses he's presented kind of lightly as the smart kid he's not as analogous i think to other ones from some of these other properties we've talked about I mean, some of them have like a dedicated smart kid kind of thing, but they don't play it up a ton in this. They have him. He has one moment where he figures out um, it's the Noah thing and it's not Noah. It's N-A-O-H, which was like the chemical formula for it was like lie, basically. So one of the other friends uh, whose name was Woody, who was the fat kid and very much like Chunk from Goonies or kind of like Dustin, Stranger Things and Horace from Monster Squad. Um, so that kid had seen in a um, like storage unit, this bag of something. And then the Curtis kid figures out what it is. So that kid later, we've at, there's a certain point in the movie. Uh, well, I, I think it's interesting when they they pull the he this is he's doing a gardening project because I I saw this movie a year ago or something and then when uh, but I had forgotten so Mackie at one point is talking to the main kid and the main kid tries to get Mackie to call his supposed nephew because there's a kid that's gone missing our main kid thinks Mackie's the one who killed him uh, Mackie who's the cop. Uh, explains, oh, no, 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 that was just my nephew. And so he had offered to call him. So the kid actually gets him to call him. And then the kid ends up finding out by calling the operator back that Mackie had just called his own home. So that seemed like pretty clear to the audience. Oh, well, that's it. Like Tim was saying, like, that's it. Case closed. Why else would you do that? But I do think the movies, it's kind of interesting because they've already introduced that and you feel pretty certain that Mackie's it. And then you get Curtis on a walkie-talkie saying, oh no, all that gardening stuff that we thought was proof was actually for this big project. So I think they do play with it pretty well in keeping you kind of on your toes. But let's go ahead and dig into like the potential red herrings because I do think there are a couple couple possibilities that the movie lays out there like tim said you you've watched enough of these movies you've been trained to not expect something to go in the obvious direction you expect there to be something buried underneath that you you you're looking for clues so i think the movie does bury some stuff in there that could in another movie be where it goes so what were some of the things that we jumped on there um the douchey older brother Okay. I mean, that's always one of those tropes where, you know, the 20-something older brother who's an asshole is potentially doing something bad, you know. So that I think that was kind of, not that he was in it a lot, but just the, the couple mentions of it and a few different shots of him, I think that could could have been, like, again, it's just one of those, oh, those it's those guys again doing, and it's the bully, older bully kid doing something. Well, and that guy... Yeah. 
they do establish that he and his younger brother Tommy come from a pretty fucked up family. Like, yeah, you know, like there's a lot of fighting at home and probably abuse based on the way things are kind of hinted mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. I there were two that I thought of. Um, the one that was more that I was more certain might be the case was Davy. That's the the main kids, right? Yeah, Davy that Davy's dad would be the killer because we, he's dropped in throughout the movie. We don't see a lot of them, but we see him sporadically where the brother is just mentioned and we only see him once towards the very end. So I feel like that would have been kind of an unsatisfying reveal if it had been the brother, but the Davy's dad seemed like it could make more sense because he's been sprinkled throughout the movie you know he's he's uh, a cameraman for like new the news and everything. So you could even like say like oh well he's all about the sensational the sensational aspect of these stories. And he's basically trying to create a story that he could then report on or you know film or whatever. And then the at one point I also started thinking well maybe he's doing it with the cop because the way the dad reacts to Davy telling them his suspicions and the way they go over and tell um, Mackie that, you know, the kids think that he's killing kids and they broke into their home or whatever. Like the, the interaction between Mackie and the dad, like felt really weird to me. And I think you could chop that up to, well, the cop is trying to play it off a certain way, but you could also read that as, the dad trying to make a show of it as well. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that was there. And the, and then the other one that I was hoping for was uh, Nikki, the babysitter, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I thought that would have been really interesting because, and it would have justified what one of my, one of my big issues with the movie is in that there is no way that a babysitter would end up reciprocating the feelings of the crush. Like yeah. that felt so well, odd to me. Yeah, I don't go, go ahead, Eric. think that was what was happening. I think I don't think she was like into the main character in that way. She definitely was felt a connection to him because she used to spend a lot of time with him and she was going through like her parents were getting divorced and she's about to move away. And I mean she the first time she comes over to his house, it's after that they're like looking at her through the window undressing and he doesn't duck in time and she sees him. Um, so you think maybe that that's a catalyst for her to come over there, but I never got the sense that she was um, into him. Into, yeah, um, she does kiss him. Yes, yeah, I, I, more for him. I, um, I I feel like I think it's like left out there as a possibility, but I guess because I saw you know, you had noted this prior to Tim, I didn't reject it in the way that you did because I don't know. I guess I feel like your rejection of it of, is coming from a well, no babysitter would ever do X, but I think they're supposed to be like a year or two different. Like they are, she's his babysitter. She's 17. She's 17 and he's he's 14, 15. So he's 15. 15. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, those relationships happen in high school. So like I, and they also (sighs) grew up, they also grew up together. So like she was, yeah, she was his babysitter in the sense of like, Oh, she's a little bit older than him. So he, she can watch him while we go to the movies like that kind of, so like to me, it's, I mean, do I think the movie setting up, like you're supposed to think they're going to fall in love? No, but I think it's, I think it's set up as like a plausible 
romance. I don't think it's like it's like it's not that she's twenty five. That's right. you know, I, and, and again, guess, they live next to each other, so they've known each other their whole lives. I guess. I guess the thing for me is it's so it has no bearing on the actual plot so that it really does just come across to me like wish fulfillment on the part of the writers. Like one of the writers had a huge crush on their babysitter growing up and this is them getting to like act it out in a way. Like it just felt like it didn't, it didn't, it didn't matter to the movie as a whole. Like you could write out her character and nothing actually changes. Because she doesn't even really assist them that much in the investigation. It's almost, it felt like more a perfunctory way to have like a pretty girl be a part of the group in like the the most non-invasive, easiest way possible. I think she does have a role by the time we get to the end. I mean, I would agree that she doesn't play a huge role in the like actual plot. But in terms of the goal the movie has by the end of it, I think she does have a role there, but I want to save that to when we dive into those areas. Um, but yeah, so, but, but circling back to the red herrings, I, I agree. I, I felt like the dad, even on the first watch, I thought the dad was likely, the dad has just kind of like hostility brimming under the surface anyway. In a lot Very of low scenes. key. And, yeah, the cam- uh, with the camera stuff. That was yeah, really he has like... the camera, and he like explicitly won't let his son use the camera, which makes sense. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's equipment for an official like news agency, but it's also like, well, if you're looking at a movie and you're wondering who the serial killer is, and serial killers take pictures and videos sometimes, it's like, well, maybe the dad doesn't want him like looking through his camera equipment. Like, there's a possibility there. Um, one of the first lines of the movie, like in the first five ten minutes, uh, you know, really early stuff is the kid talking to his mom and she said like he he asked if his dad's coming home soon she said well something needed reporting and so the dad there's like just kind of this like absence of him at times which again if you're trying to game out a movie and think well who could the killer be all right well maybe it's this dad who seems to not be around all the time and maybe he's off doing some shit like you know you don't know the Nikki thing, who is the girl next door slash babysitter, I actually, on the first viewing, I didn't jump to her being the killer. Uh, one, I don't know how plausible it would be that she'd be killing a bunch of, like, teenage boys, but also they established pretty early on that there's been, like, 10 or 12 or something over the course of, like, a decade. So unless the killer... And then they and the cops say that I think they confirmed some of the, like, details on it. So, I mean, she obviously couldn't have been doing it when she was seven. But I thought, actually, her dad... You don't know that. I thought her dad <laughs> might have been the killer because there's right. uh, there's there's a line where she says that her dad, like, hasn't been staying at home. And then the fact that she ends up, like, she's in this house, they go exploring and they think the house might've like the people who live there might've been killed off. And then she's suddenly there. So I thought maybe it was like, she was aware of what her dad was doing. Maybe she was trying to cover up for her dad. Like I thought that was possible when I first watched the first time, but thought that might be the revelation that, you know, she's trying to keep her parents together, keep her dad out of jail, or maybe she's somehow involved and she's been doing stuff like, so I, I thought she was, she probably knew more, or I thought that was possibly where it was going, but I didn't think she herself was the actual killer. 
Um, I forgot that they mentioned that it'd be going on for like a decade. Yeah, so I mean, if, if it hadn't been, you could probably argue that, you know, if it was just the two recent kids, then it's like, yeah, you know, maybe she could have. Um, any other ones thrown out there? I don't feel like there was a lot of characters in general. So, I mean... Yes, we, I agree. So it, the, the town didn't feel very fleshed out. It was the kids in the cul-de-sac is what it kind of felt like. Especially like dropping this island on us at the end, which where did that come from? That was something that we hadn't even alluded to at all. Oh, unless I missed it. Oh, Nate, you mean your your hometown didn't just have an island conspicuously there? Right, and and to just all of a sudden be like, oh yes, by the way, this island exists. I mean, it, it is it is in Oregon, Ipswich, Oregon, so I don't know. I've never been there. Who knows if they have islands all over the place there, but yeah, I, I, I thought... I think they do. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I, I do. There's a lot of, like, Oregon and Portland. I've been out there. And then Oregon also is where the uh, Goonies takes place, so that might have been the reason oh, for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I and maybe because I'm... Well, I, I, I don't know about Nate as well, but I know like Linton and Eric, you guys are both a little bit older than me. So you have more direct, you know, experience with a lot of these 80s movies. But because uh, like I. Uh, oh, believe boy, me, Nate is older than you, too. OK, good. <laughs> I'm older than Linton. I'm, I'm like the baby. Now, right. It's not like. So <laughs> <laughs> going off of what Nate was saying about the character, like they're not being really characters. That was. That was probably my biggest problem with this movie and why it wasn't until the end, like the last 30 minutes that I really thought this movie became something like really interesting and cool. The characterization is not really great. And most importantly, I could not figure out why these kids were friends. Like, again, you look, you compare you look at something like Stranger Things, where it, it's established very early on what connects them. Like, they're all, they're, like, playing D&D mm-hmm. together. They have their shared interests. Even, like, things like the Goonies and stuff like that. You get a much greater sense of camaraderie. All we really see these kids do is talk about how horny they are. Like, that's it. <laughs> and I get, I get that's part of adolescence, but they're, I, I, and you, like you mentioned the one kid with the glasses, who's kind of the like smart one with like air quotes around it. Like, even though they don't really present any of them as being like super nerdy or anything, but it felt like all, they were all just kind of like very surface level reflections of the types of characters we would see in these kind of movies, but with no real depth and nothing to really connect them to one another so even though most of the movie is them hanging out with each other and like doing these investigations, it never really feels like they're actually hanging out. It feels very stiff. And I think that's why I, like the movie as a whole suffers, even as the premise is cool and it like slowly builds to one heck of an ending, it kind of becomes a slog in places because it's just like, well, why do, why does this kid care what this kid thinks? I can, I definitely can see that. I, I, the whole, the, I don't, they didn't really establish them as a friend. You're right on that. But I, I really feel like the town, like there wasn't a lot of fleshed out beyond the cul-de-sac. So, but like going like, again, like I know the Goonies, I know like Stranger Things, which isn't an actual eighties movie. It's an homage and everything. There's a lot of that stuff I haven't seen. So if you guys have watched more of it, like, is this, am I just like, 
picking up on the really exceptional cases and this is more the norm or is this or is this more superficial compared to other like kid adventure movies well i got some stuff on it but i think eric might have a take well in terms of like whether or not it's believable that they're friends um i mean they live (laughs) close to each other which usually is all it takes at that age i think um, they probably are around the age where they would start drifting apart if they had vastly different interests. Um, cause they're probably like just entering high school, I would think, or sophomore. 15. Yeah. So that probably is the age where they probably would start to drift apart if they were fundamentally different and didn't actually like hanging out with each other. But you are right. That's yeah. It seems the only time they're actually hanging out is playing manhunt or looking at porn or whatever. Um, <laughs> They, you know, they, I do get the vibe that they're friends, but you, yeah, it's not, it's not absurd that like the nerd and like the outsider punk rock looking kid would, you know, hang out, especially when it's a whole group. It's not like they didn't establish that really it was like uh, the fat kid and the main kid who had like their own thing outside of the group. They seem to be a little closer. Yeah, I'm with Eric. Like I, it, it doesn't strike me as odd them being friends i mean i think the so the the fat kid woody curtis with glasses and davy i mean i think all of them pretty naturally make sense together the only one that's odd is tommy who like sort of wants to present himself as the tough kid he has jet black hair and he's wearing leather and stuff and he but there there are other characters in previous movies. So Chris from stand by me is similar to that. Rudy from monster squad is like that. So they're definitely pulling from those tropes. And just like in those tropes, those characters stand out a little bit where you could question, well, why is this like tough kid hanging out with these, you know, dumbasses kind of thing. But I feel Eric's hitting it right on the head. It's, you don't really get to choose the friends you have when you're 10. Like it's literally like, I mean, I remember this, like it's literally the people that live, across the street from you so and then you know once yeah. you get once you get into high school you start like oh i'm 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 super into band or i like av or i'm into sports or whatever and you start making different friends then obviously once you get into college you gravitate toward you find your people but i think i they make sense as friends to me i i would argue that tommy who comes from kind of a rough background he probably wasn't like that when he was 10 when they or eight or whenever they started hanging out but he's probably become like more hardened over time. Um, But yeah, so they, I mean, they makes, I mean, they aren't, I don't think they're presented as the Uber dork nerds that stranger things do, but I think with some of the, the main kids like UFO conspiracy stuff, uh, you know, different conspiracies and sci-fi stuff. I think they all kind of enjoy it to some degree, even though they think he goes overboard but yeah, it it, uh, it checks out to me. I would also say Stranger Things, I think, isn't the best comparison in this case because Stranger Things has three seasons worth of TV to build these relationships, whereas yeah. this has, you know, an hour and a half to do it. So I don't know that their relationships are any less fleshed out than, say, like the kids in Goonies or um, the kids in Monster Squad or the kids in Stand By Me. I don't know. 
I, maybe it's also a combination of just like the writing and the acting. Cause I mean, like stranger things also benefits from, they found some pretty phenomenal child actors to fill those roles. You know, not your, you know, not every production that is doing a kid's adventure is going to get that lucky. So, I mean, there, there could be a, a, a other things as well, but yeah, I just, and I think this is where this movie kind of falls short in terms of like the overall comparisons to the kinds of movies that it's trying to be is we've seen better characterization and better dialogue and stuff in those other movies. So it, it does that part of this movie doesn't really feel all that special or different. The movie does excel in other ways, which we're going to talk about, but that's like, until we get to that point, it kind of it, it kind of felt like a slog in some places for me mm-hmm. uh, as as I was going through. And I don't mind slow burns. Like I said, the suspense that this movie builds up is actually quite good. But between those like moments of it slowly building up, it was just kind of I didn't really enjoy spending time with these characters as much as I do in other movies of the similar vein. I actually didn't mind them too much only because I've seen a few, I have kids, so I've seen a few of them in in other kid related things. So it was kind of odd to see them in this type of movie. Um, the, main <laughs> character, the main character specifically, he was, he was in a couple things with it. My kids have watched. And, and so that it, I know, it was, I know it was the definitely... tough kid, the tough kids in that Christmas movie where, uh, Kurt Russell plays uh, Santa Claus. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So he's playing uh, a yeah. drastically different character in this than he was in that. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen you know, the, the big kid. I don't think I saw him in much. I feel like I've seen the, the, the smart slash nerdy kid, but the other two, yeah, I've seen them in, in other things too. So it's kind of interesting to see them in these type of roles. I really but, want uh, you to show this to your kids now and see. Um, <laughs> Hey, it's that guy you like from that other movie. Let's see what happens to him. My my 12-year-old daughter, she has been wanting to watch movies like this and It and everything. (laughs) And I'm like, child, no, not yet. Um, Granted, I'm sure I was the youngest, so I'm sure I watched all these movies at her age or or younger. Um, Oh, of course. Of course. (laughs) That's what parenting is. (laughs) But... I mean, look at the father. I'm an invest. I'm a journal. I'm a journalist. I'm a reporter. I'm a cameraman. But don't investigate, kid. You're not allowed to do that. So, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. But no, uh, yeah. So was, welcome back to Dad Forum, everyone, where we talk about <laughs> issues concerning dads. Uh, yes, I'm. I'm here sporting my dad bod. So. No, it's fine, Nate. I, I wanted you on here because you have kids. I think, uh, especially when we get. Uh, a little bit later, uh, I want to want you to address some aspects, but um, yeah, we can uh, zero in on whatever other topics people want to bring up at this point. The only other thing I, I wanted to bring back one aspect we were talking about some of the red herrings, and I thought it was worth mentioning. So there's, as Tim said, you know, the babysitter was a possibility. I thought the babysitter's dad was a possibility. You've got the father of the main kid was a possibility. Nate brought up the brother of the kind of tough kid. But I thought one aspect that, at least for me, especially on a rewatch, that makes me question if you're, or the way the script is operating, are we supposed to think 
that there is going to be a solution that's not Mackie is because there are points where it leans hard into Mackie, where they show you stuff like like when the the lie is shown, or when he's mm-hmm. he buys a pickaxe and the tough kid's like, is that a fucking pickaxe? And it like gets the, the creepy music plays, and the big one I think is there's a scene where Mackie, oh Mackie early on owes the main kid some money because he's a paper boy and they have like this back and forth and he tells him like oh 15 is a perfect age i wish i could you know just like freeze Freeze you just like that yeah so there's definitely (laughs) like this kind of sinister you know it could be read sinister it could be read totally innocent but there's another scene later on where he's sitting like in front of his house and he's in a lawn chair and he has a beer and there's some younger kids because our main kids are like 14 15 but there's some kids that are maybe like eight, six to eight, something like that, playing kind of in the street, screwing around. And he has a cooler there where he has clearly like brought it out expressly for them. And he says, you know, like, oh, I got freeze pops. And he hands them all out and he's like watching the kids. Now there's nothing like overtly like sexual or violent or anything that he does, but he's like watching the kids and there's kind of this ominous music. And he has this kind of almost like, determined somewhat creepy expression so you could definitely say oh the movie wants me to think that he's the bad guy but knowing how movies function sometimes it's like oh the movie wants me to think this because it's trying to fake me out and it's actually going to be something else that he's not he is just an innocent and he's not doing anything wrong so that's one reason i think that as you watch it you second guess mackie just because the movie does seem to lean hard into him at times. I think one of the, I think that also typically in these types of movies, there's a point where you find out backstory of how they become who they are or hints at that sort of thing. And and I don't think they ever do that with Mackie until the very end. Um, and, and that's also not a red herring because there's nothing to, to try to distract you from it. But, that was one of the things I was waiting for them to find out at the library or find a news article where he was beat. He, he had uh, find something that would clue into having a real messed up past that made this guy who he is. So th- that was, I know it's not exactly what you're talking about because there's times where they were trying to make like with the kids and everything. I, I just think that was one of those things that they didn't do in this movie that they typically do in a lot of those ones where it's like, Oh, that's why he's the way he is. So there was none of that until very, very at the end. They, they slightly hinted at something like that. Well, I think so a it was lot really... of, if you're talking about the kids' adventure ones, I think a lot of times the thread is pretty clear. So like like it, mm-hmm. they know the clown is a killer. You know, they don't know exactly what right. it is, but they know that it's a monster of some kind. And then with the Goonies, you have the the criminals that are the Fratellis that are chasing them. So that's like known from the beginning. Like most of these movies don't operate as a mystery though the you brought up the burbs and that would be a good example of the, of the time and sort of a kid's thing where yeah like you aren't totally sure in the burbs uh you know what it's going to be mm-hmm. it's well and I mean, and even when they do operate on more of a mystery because i think stranger things kind of operates as a mystery at least in the first season of sorts but it's not a who done it where yeah. this is more along the lines of a who done it yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I'm ready to talk about the ending. Yes, me too. Because it is, it is what made me like this movie. <laughs> um, 
Is that creepy? I don't know, but I just Remi- thought... A reminder that Nate is the only one of us with kids. Correct. So. Correct. All right. But I also so... have a near teenager, so I kind of... All right, no, so full on, full on spoiler alert. If you've uh, been listening this far, you already know that the cop is the villain. Uh, that he he has been a serial killer. That he has been abducting and killing, uh, you know, teenage boys for uh, about a decade. And so the movie kind of goes back and forth a little bit, plays with that of where you don't know if, if it's going to go that way or not, and. It gets to the end, and yeah, this is where I think the movie really kicks it into high gear and becomes something special. And on a rewatch, for me, it's why I will end up owning it, because I do think it's something... I think this is a movie that's worth coming back to from time to time. I think it's doing some challenging and kind of ballsy things that it didn't need to do. Nate said earlier, of like comparing it to Stranger Things seems off to him and, and he was saying it because of the sci-fi thing i i think another reason that it's a little off is stranger things is operating i think tim said is like pure homage like it's it's trying to emulate spielberg movies and other movies of that era and you know give you those same good vibes that you got back when you were a kid and this movie sort of does that for most of its run i think there's some clues before the ending which i want to address but it sort of does that but then it undercuts any kind of nostalgia vibes you had been having. So we'll launch into this, but I'll summarize very quickly what happens. So they, there's a big like town festival, and the main kid is going to break into Mackie's house because he knows Mackie's going to be there as part of the police. And he has a couple of his friends who are supposed to be staking things out, and they all have walkie-talkies all throughout the movie. And they're going to let him know if they see Mackie coming. At this point, they've been following him and uncovering information along the way, but they don't have any hard evidence. And they've gotten in trouble because they told their dad and, you know, Mackie had an explanation for everything. So they decide, all right, I'm going to, we're going to break into his house. I'm going to go down to his basement because the main kid had been there in the beginning. He had seen some kind of weirdly padlocked door. And which sets up this kind of creepiness right from the beginning of what's going on here. And so he decides he's going to break in there and see what he can find. So it ends up being him, the fat kid, and the babysitter going into the house, going down in the basement, breaking it open. And what we find is a creepy room made up to look like a teenage boy's room from 20 years prior, from like the 60s or something. And then past that, there is another door that leads to a bathroom. And inside the bathroom, they see all these like pictures of uh, a kidnapped kid that our main kid had seen at the very beginning. And then in the bathtub, there's a decomposing body of that same kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that same kid, uh, decomposing body in the bathtub, like, you know, some kind of acid or something dissolving him so he's all grossed out 80s effects and then there's another kid who is still alive but has been bound and gagged and he's in that room so he'll be killed at any time now so the kids discover this the kids get the live kid out of there the kids get to the police station they turn over all the evidence they've been recording this with the dad's camera the cops see everything 
the whole town, you know, the, you know, it's implied like anyone in authority is like, you, know, you guys are heroes kind of thing. And it seems like everything's nicely wrapped up in a, we save the day and the cops are after Mackie and everything's going to be good. Um, and then stop there. Yeah. And then, and then, so that's like where one of these movies usually would end. Yeah, and I was disappointed at this stage. Uh, I, like, I, I mean, I was happy that they found that. It was cool. It was wrapping up. But I'm like, where was the high stakes to this movie? Well, uh, I, and... I only knew I only knew to expect more because once they once they take the camera and they go to investigate the house, like that whole like sequence is really well done, really well shot, really well executed. So I'm like really into what's going on. And then, like they they tell the cops and everything, and I and, and kind of along with you, I was like, well, that doesn't seem like that would be the end. And I like looked at the runtime. I was like, oh, there's right. still 15 minutes left. Yep. And this isn't going to be like Winnie the Pooh with like seven minutes of credits. So something else is going to happen. <laughs> so yes, but it's, it's yeah, very much... yeah. I knew that too, but it's just it was it was wrapped up so well that it's like oh you know well, yeah well, you, you I, I think it's away. I think it's intentionally set up to oh, make right. you out. Like, I mean, consider if you weren't watching this at home with, you know, an actual time code in front of you, if you're just sitting in a theater and you don't, once you're in a theater, you know, you don't, with previews and everything, you don't know exact running times of where you're at in a movie. You have a rough estimation. So you could be thinking, oh, this is it. And the movie is presenting it very much as like, okay, they, they took it to the cops. The cops believe them. There's hard evidence. They've got him his parents who had like already chastised him and um, you know, like grounded him for the summer, they've apologized. The girl is like thanking him for uh, being there for her during the divorce. So that's what I was talking about earlier, Tim, that I think she operates in a little bit way of this fake out. Um, it's, it's meant to wrap it up of like, Oh, and he gets the, the girl that he likes so I think that's they could have done more with her for sure, but but I think that's her somewhat of her reason at the end is that so when they give you this fake out ending, it's oh and everything's wonderful and fine, and so then it's him and his friends staying at his home that night, and it like starts to fade to black, giving you this kind of like well that's it guys we beat them the cops are gonna save the day and get them, and then creepy 80s synth music comes in and the uh like uh, attic the attic what would you call it like a like stairs come down or stairs ladder i actually before we continue on with the actual ending i do have a question because and it's not just this Ah, movie nate Nate has one of them above him so uh a uh a serial killer is sure to come down (laughs) at any moment (laughs) Well, so this this is my question, because I know there are like those attic things like in my my home growing up, it was in the closet and everything, which I, I, are you in? I, maybe Nate's in the closet. It looks like he could be in the closet. Uh, Nate's but, been in the closet in, for some time. In movies. <laughs> it's totally fine, Nate. We support you. But in in movies all across the spectrum, you have the attic with like the ladder stairs and everything that come down in the the middle of the main hallway. And I have never lived in a house or been in a house where there's access to the attic from just the main hallway. 
is that just something they do in movies or have you, no. do you guys live in houses or been in houses no. where that's there? I, I have going up. We didn't have a ladder, but we could have built one. Okay. But there was, so there was an attic entranceway in the yeah, Okay. Did. I've just, I, I, it, it jumped out at me in this. I've seen it in so many movies, but for some reason this time I was like, is that a real thing? Cause I've never seen that, but you see it all the time in movies. So I didn't know if maybe that was just like, a Hollywood shortcut because it does make things more dramatic than like the, you see the attic creep open in the closet and then he climbs down and has to like navigate through all the shit that's in the closet (laughs) without making too much noise. So I wasn't sure if that was just a Hollywood thing or if that actually exists. So, okay. Yeah. I've I've never lived in a house that had one of those. So I couldn't say I, I've probably only seen it in movies. Maybe, you know, maybe somebody's friend's house or somebody, uh, I would have seen it somewhere, but. But so, Eric, did anyone ever creepily come down the attic in your old house? Or is that just a Hollywood no, thing? Yeah. I never actually went up there. It wasn't like something we could access. Um, but we did have one of those stairs in our garage where we kind of had an attic space, too. And we built that and we stored things up there. So I, I've been on one of those things that unravel. Um, but, uh, nice. but no serial all right, so uh, yes, yeah, so Mackie Mackie comes down from the attic ladder and he knocks out both kids with like a uh, chloroform, uh, rag or chloroform presumably, and then the kids both wake up in the back of his car and he tells them he, that they're going to play manhunt, which I think the rough rules of I don't know if that's a real game. Did anyone ever play that? Yes, it's it's Actually, like flashlight tag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that's where this movie got to hit home because I used to play Manhunt in my neighborhood around my oh, okay. cul-de-sac. Cool. It's, I mean, there's different versions of the game, but essentially it's either you have one team hiding and one team searching, or in some versions you have one team goes out for a certain amount of time and then tries to make it back to base safely without being caught. And you, um, it seems like they're. Can you not catch someone while they're running, or do you just have to get a light on them? Um, I guess if you're playing with flashlights, yeah, it's like maybe you just have to find them the way they were playing. Um, okay, the only reason I like... ask is because near the end when when they're running, he says something like, "like he he can't." He says like it's manhunt. He can't get us if we keep moving or something. Like like I thought maybe it was like he thought Mackie would be playing by the rules of manhunt, but since I'm not familiar with the game, I couldn't tell if if that line was if I should be interpreting it that way or not. No, I think that was just well, let's keep moving so he doesn't catch us. Right, right. So, yeah. uh, so basically, yes. Yeah. So the the rest of the film is they wake up. They're in this wooded area. the The cop car is there. Mackie is somewhere nearby. He starts calling out to them. He's essentially going to chase them and kill them. Is the implication? And the boys are running through. This is uh, our main kid, Davy, and then the fat kid, Woody, and. You know, the bigger kid is not obviously not doing as well, uh, you know, keeping up or um, so. So there's some element of danger there, but they're all they're both running around and they realize that they're on an island and they give it a name. I think they mention a tidal like, island. I thought they called it. Island. Yeah. yeah. So I think they're aware of what it, where they must be, but they initially don't know. They think they're just going to like run into town or something. Uh, but they do come across essentially like a burial ground of like loose body parts that he didn't bury very well. Cause there were just some things just stick like skulls just sticking out of the yeah. ground. 
Well, he so was in come, a hurry. So they come across some of that stuff and they're trying to get away from him. And the main kid says, you know, I'll, I'll fake him out and you run to the car. And we'd already established earlier in the movie that the bigger kid could drive a car well enough. Like they steal his mom's car at one point to spy on Mackie. So the movie seemingly sets up like, okay, the kid knows how to drive. So he's going to get away. And our main kid's going to, you know, he's going to be our fast kid and he's going to be fine. Well, so Mackie comes up silently and like slices his Achilles tendon. And then he tracks down the big kid near the car. And then in an incredibly graphic scene, just slices the kid's throat from ear to ear right in front of the camera. So like just as, you know, if you want a horror movie money shot, it's like exact, like they're, they are not pulling any punches and this kid's about 15. So he's not, well, a not... Chi- he's not a child, but he's younger than what we usually see for a lot of slasher movies. So we get that. And, and then what, what stuck out for that, like with the money shot, it's not just that he slices it for like slices the throat from ear to ear, but the camera stays there. And like you watch Mackie, yeah. like tilt the head back. So the blood is like coming down. Like it's, it's gruesome and it's happening to a 15 year old. And there's like yeah. his cop car is still there. And so it's like red and blue lights are in the background. And so given this like kind of weird eerie vibe and he's in the woods. And so everything about the way it's shot, and Mackie, this is the first time we've seen him as just full-on monster mode. Because up to this point, he's been masking himself at, at, at any other point in the movie. Eventually, the kid kind of limps toward where his friend is, doesn't know what's happened. Mackie grabs him, and Mackie has a pretty great speech where he tells him, like, it's super intense. And I think there's, like, red light pouring right on both of them. He tells him that... Um, you know, he so wants to kill him, but that that's too good for him. And basically he's going to let him live. And so that he'll be looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life. And that one day he is going to come back and he is going to kill him. So that's, there's, there's a little bit at the end, uh, but that is the crux of what this movie has been building to where they have these kind of nostalgia vibes. And then the last 15, 20 minutes just utterly undercut it in the most brutal way possible. It slits the throat. Yeah, it, well, the it was it was that was a, a moment where you see the kid in pure panic, and then they they do that. It was like oof. Like I did not. I mean, I thought any second now something's going to happen. He's not going to be able to do that because you don't usually, like you said, you don't usually see a fifteen year old get his throat slit. You know, it, it was it was one of those gut punches for me. It was just like oof, like damn. But that's what made it different and better than a lot of the other ones because they don't usually play with that. So well, and and I would also say like that like not killing kids is usually kind of a, an unspoken rule of a lot of horror movies. A few break it, like the 1980s Blob kills I think like a 12 or 13 year old, um, and I give it props for that because it's a really unexpected death. But yeah, usually like like teen slasher movies tend to be you're okay with it because as screen pointed out, there's that moralizing at play. It's, Oh, well they're doing drugs and they're drinking and they're having sex. So you kind of equate that with, well, they're old enough. They're acting adult and they're breaking, you know, they're doing stuff they're not supposed to do. So there's this like punishment aspect, but these kids like, 
these kids are played by people in their 20s so like you're subconsciously like oh well they're not really kids yeah these are the the people in this i mean they they cast kids that are the right age or very close very convincingly to be like 15 and they the characters within it are presented as pretty innocent i mean they talk about sex and you know there's there's some sexuality like going on and you know they're lusting after the babysitter but it would be hard to say like with a slasher movie oh well you know it's like it's fine they broke the code it's like these kids didn't break any code you know they're our heroes well in, in movies that do allow for the kids to be in harm like to be like like that like georgie and it it's, it's established right at the beginning of the movie yeah um a quiet place where his daughter gets gets it like gets killed right at the beginning of the movie like those t- type of movies is it the son or the daughter i don't know but it's those type of movies. They establish it early to let you know what the stakes are I think, throughout. I think the son dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they establish it early to let you know that this is the stakes for the entire movie. But this one doesn't do that. They play with this, oh, it's 80s. Everybody's going to be okay. And all the kids are going to make it through. Yeah, they're going to be in danger, but something's going to save them. And they don't. they don't do that. They they're like no, we're letting it happen, and that is I think that was the shocking part is because the stakes weren't set up ahead of time like a lot of these movies do. It's a good. We're like oh, these kids could die, um, so yeah, I think that was what was so jarring, but in a good way. Like you know, it, it's like oh damn, this got real. Well, yeah, I, I I didn't consider that. I, I I know Tim, you you have you've been wanting to jump in. I'll let you hear. Um, but I I didn't consider it. But you're right that with Georgie dying in it, Georgie is our main character's brother, correct? In it, mm-hmm. so he's directly related. He's directly tied to our main guy, and so that is like, oh well, something could happen. Whereas the kids in in this that have died, we have. A couple kids that have gone missing. We don't have faces or names. They're in neighboring towns. It's all super vague. Then there's one kid that this kid thinks might have gotten abducted, but we don't even really know who he is. Like, it's just like they get a name eventually, but it's like, ah, who is it? It's not anyone they know. It's not anyone they're connected to. So what I think it does, I think you're right, Nate. It sets it up in the viewer's mind of like, oh, yeah, those kids can die. But our kids, they're the heroes. They're okay. So, uh, but yeah, it doesn't do that. It establishes right away, like, oh no, this is, this was his fucking brother and he died. So any of these kids, it could happen to, whereas I think. And he died on screen too. Right. I mean, right. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes and no, uh, but I mean, he's harmed on screen. Well, it's also, it's also the inverse. Like they set up those stakes at the beginning so that you have in your head that, well, oh, anyone could die, but they don't like at least like it part one if we're looking at the movies like it does have it does as as much danger as those kids are in the movie does end in a very positive note like i'm you know like they vanquish him and everything this works the opposite and i think what like the the slitting woody's throat is is like graphic and like it it's a very shocking thing but like when i was watching it it was more like, it came across more like, oh, that's like shock value. Like it was very unexpected, but it, in its own, it would have just been like, oh, that was like a shocking thing. But I don't think that would have really made this movie that special in my mind. The speech though, when, yeah. like we're saying, the speech that Mackie gives Davy, which is really well acted, um, 
on uh, Harry Crane's part. Uh, <laughs> like, cause you, you see like the brimming like entitlement at like, cause he, cause like he is yelling at Davy for taking his life away, completely glossing over the fact of all of the children who he's taken lives away from. So it's this really scary self-centered entitlement that is just like seizing, seething through every bit of that monologue and then when he just leaves him like i'm not going to kill you you are going to spend the rest of your life however long i decide that is looking over your shoulder like that to me was like the really terrifying part because like killing killing a kid is bad but then like to put it to put it like you know the way the suffering is over right the kid is the kid dies and then that's the end but now with Davy, he his entire the rest of his life, especially the rest of his childhood, he's traumatized. Like there is no going back to a normal life after that. And and kind of what Lytton was talking, at least this was my viewing. I don't know if Lytton was thinking of something a little bit different when he wants to get into the way this undercuts the nostalgia. Like to me, that was what made this movie really interesting is these types of movies are all about the wonder of childhood. And this one ends with not only childhood being like taken away, but basically saying, Hey, there are consequences to being a kid and getting into trouble and messing around, which is not a message that you typically see. And it's like, that's where I think this movie really steps into its own as like a horror movie. Cause it just makes, it's a punch in the gut and it makes you go, Holy shit. Like, we let kids do a bunch of things with like, you know, boys will be boys, let kids be kids. And like, no, like there could be legitimate consequences that you never think about when you're a kid. Boomer entitlement. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's it's interesting that you say that, um, how you're saying that like he, he takes the childhood away from the main character in a sense, because he's like pretty much wrecked the rest of his life. Um, and the way that you say that he, this entitlement when he's doing his speech, like it almost seems like a kid throwing a tantrum. Uh, oh yeah. So almost like he has some un, unworked out issues from his childhood, you know, with the whole, um, bedroom set up in his basement. Um, you get, there's some sort of childhood trauma he's probably dealing with. And when he mentions 15 being the, like we talked about 15 being the perfect age and freezing there. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, right. There's and he, something... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does, and then when he's like, um, when the dad is forcing the kid to apologize to him about like you know, going through his garbage and stuff, and he's very like, oh, you know, I was a kid once too, and I, you know, he he waxes poetic about that age a lot too. So, yeah, you get the sense that there's something else going on with him apart from just being uh, a serial killer. That he it definitely is like showing in that moment. Because you're right, like he he makes it seem like he's the victim when he's yelling that you've t- you've taken my life. Uh, mm-hmm. How dare you? And it's just like, well, wait, you were going to kill me. I was on your wall. I was the next victim. I'm in, in my rights to try to stop you. So what did uh, what did you make of the ending, Eric, when you first saw it? Because this is your second time around. Um, it's funny because I you know I, I remembered all this stuff like the big speech and the, the throat slitting and kind of the, the denouement at the end and I forgot that I forgot about the latter scene part 
And I knew that when everything was like wrapping up and they're like, and I was like, oh, the killer, he still comes after them. I forgot. Like he, I can't remember exactly how he gets them out into the wilderness. And I'm thinking like, oh, they're, they're at his house. They probably have cops watching the place maybe, but there's a manhunt for the guy. And I completely forgot that he's just like in the house the whole time. And like, what a great moment that is. Um, and I almost wish that I was like actually in a theater watching at that time. Cause I just mm. like, I can't imagine like the, the reaction is like, Oh my God, he's in the house. Um, and yeah, like the speech, it, it's just really fucking cool. I wouldn't have expected it to end that way. Like, I, I, I feel like the, the <laughs> Um, I mean, you're talking about being in a theater. Like, I feel like the the kid getting his throat slit is on par with Hereditary. Um, for those of you who've seen oh, it, if yeah. you haven't seen it, spoiler alert: it's an excellent film. You should go check it out. Uh, I'll actually avoid it. I'll just say that there is an an incredibly powerful scene about what what would you say, Tim? Half hour into Hereditary or something? Yeah, it's like the end of the first act. So, like, probably like. 35 minutes, yeah. 35, 40 minutes into the movie. So there's something incredibly unexpected and hereditary that like doesn't break the world that they've established. It's totally fine in terms of, but it, but you could not have possibly seen this coming and it propels the plot in a very different direction. And I remember watching that at home, just kind of like literally like moving back in my seat in shock, which I watched tons of horror movies and that does not happen to me. So they yeah. were really doing their job. And so I, I feel like the slitting the throat is a similar thing of like, holy fuck. Like, no, hereditary. I, I saw her, not to get too off track. I saw hereditary in theater. So that was a moment that I got to experience in the theater. And I, I could, I could not tell you the last time I audibly gasped while watching a movie, but it happened in hereditary where I was just like, Oh, like I like, yeah, I leave back my feet, like my breath got caught in my throat. Like it was, it was amazing. So, yeah, I would say that the, uh, the moment in uh, hereditary is, does operate a little bit differently because it's, it is so unexpected because it's something you literally couldn't have seen coming. Whereas here in the back of your mind, there is something where you could say, Oh, well maybe Mackie will kill one of these kids because it is right in front of you. We know he's a serial killer. We know he has killed other people. So I would, I would say to backtrack a little bit on my own. Yeah. It's probably not as shocking as the hereditary moment, but I, I think it's a similar kind of like, I was not expecting that. So yeah. Well, it, yeah. And, and that's where I haven't seen hereditary, but I think Midsummer did that for me where it was bright. It was safe feeling Yes, we've established some messed up stuff near the beginning, but it, there were it didn't have your usual dark tones and and, and, and scary like when these killings or when the death happened in, in Midsummer, it was just oh, it's bright and cheery and things don't seem like they should be happening at that time. I think that was a jarring a jarring moment for me, similar to this, where again you have this feeling nothing's going to happen to this kid, and then it does. Yeah. Um, Tim, you had talked about uh, if we want to briefly touch on like some of the nostalgia and kind of how it inverts stuff, because you had said uh, like the the movie presents it like this is a world with consequences that, you know, that there there's stakes, things that happen in the end. You know, it's not just, oh, everything's wonderful in the end and we're all, you know, we all go off and everything's perfect. And I had a couple other notes in ways that they subvert some of the 
80s kids movie stuff. Let me find it here. Well, while you look for that, I think the false ending is completely reversed in this new in the second part in this other ending the because at one point even the girl says doesn't she say that her parents are seeming to be looking a little better now that things like they're the heroes they they found the bad guy the 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 kid that has problems with his parents he's going to go stay with his you know his friend things things seem like it and then all of a sudden everything's the reverse on that on that aspect the girl's still going away the boy and his, the, the cool kid and his brother are tossing everything out in their yard because shit went down with his family. Yeah, they're, they're destroying um, the like childhood clubhouse, which had been discussed early on. That's as, what that was. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it was. It was early on. It was discussed as his dad might make them tear it down or whatever, and they were all like, "No, you can't. Not until we go to college," kind of deal. And then at the end of the movie, when everything's gone to hell, they are he and uh, so the the tough kid and the smart kid. Uh, who who kind of have a a similar type of two friendship you know two person friendship like Davy and Woody have they uh, they're the ones dismantling it but yeah there's there's several things childhood's over guys yeah well there's several things that's inverted but I I think there's a there's at least some clues because um, you have I mean when they do discover that body in Mackie's basement. It's really graphic and gruesome, mm-hmm. more so than, say, like, The Burbs ever was, right. which would be our closest comparison for, like, a mystery that has dead bodies in it. Because most of these kids' things, I mean, you have, like, One-Eyed Willie and the Goonies, but it's like, oh, it's pirates and it's adventure and whatever. And it's like the kids are scared, but it's not, like, gross and no one's been murdered and that kind of stuff. But this is like, you know, you could have put this in a you know, an episode of uh, like Hannibal or something really easily and it would have fit in. So they already kind of play with it there. Another note I had was the kids talk about sex a lot, um, which is unexpected for this genre because usually the kids in this genre are about like 10 to 12. And anyone, Mm -hmm. anyone who is as old as these kids are usually like the older brother. So like Mikey's older brother in Goonies is hanging around with them but we don't usually focus on kids that are 14, 15. It's usually like budding sexuality, if anything. And so this, like they're full on talking about masturbation. They're looking at porn. They're lusting after the babysitter. So I think the movie already kind of primes you a little bit of like, this isn't going to be quite what you think it is. It's not, oh, they're cutesy kids. It's like, you know, there's this sexuality that you usually don't see in these kind of things. And it is an R you know, from the word go, whereas a lot of these things are PG-13 or PG. I mean, Stranger Things, if it was released in theaters, would absolutely be a PG-13. Yeah, I guess the, the, the bigger kid, he was shown taking care of his mother, who's either really sick or an addict. And so there's the lost childhood there. So I guess you're right. There's a lot of hints at, at lost childhood. And I think I was going to bring that up. I, I know you wanted my opinion as a dad, how I would feel on that. Because these kids were just slightly older than you typically see, I don't think it would have been – it was not as much of a gut punch as it could have been. Like if you were to take the stranger kid th- kids at their ages and stuff, that would that would be a lot more shocking and a lot more, ooh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's that, that kind of hurts. That's, a little, that's more uncomfortable than I'm willing to go. 
So well, I, I think kids things are that age by the time we get well, to see by, by, by then, but not when it yeah. started. When it started, right. they were like okay. 11 years old. So they were very much in the mold of like Goonies and stuff. The other bit that I thought, because uh, Nate said that it the ending, once after Mackie, there's some, you know, there's a little bit of wrap up and it's you have the kid is actually kind of experiencing some like post-traumatic stress he's crying and like huddled in a ball you've got the kids are the other kids are dismantling the clubhouse woody's home is up for sale Mackie's mm-hmm. home has police tape all over it um and the other thing that, yeah. that struck me on on a rewatch is so he's driving by he's on his bike I want to talk about that in a second, but he's on his bike and he sees his friends. They're dismantling the clubhouse. His friends sort of avoid his eyes. They avoid looking at him. And I felt most of these 80s kids movies operate as like an affirmation of friendship. Like it's it's all about unity and these friends coming together. And the end of this movie, their friends are shattered. You know, Woody's dead. The clubhouse is dismantled. And his friends are avoiding him. And one question I had was, what do we think? Do we think his friends are avoiding him because they feel guilty? Because they abandoned him. That's another aspect that it subverts it. None of this stuff theoretically, um, like, the kids are supposed to be watching for Mackie. And they eventually say, fuck this. The, the, The two, like the smart kid and the tough kid. They eventually decide Davey doesn't know what the hell's going on. And so they turn off, they literally turn off their walkie talkies. So that subverts that whole kind of, we're all in this together. And it makes me wonder in the ending, do we think the two kids feel guilty because they, they, they think they're responsible for Woody or do they, are they mad at Davey? Like blame? Yeah. They, they, I thought that might be the case where you blame him for Woody's death, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, the the other option, and I don't I, I don't know that there's enough to say one way or the other. I think this is something that's just on your interpretation. But the other option is they're afraid. If they if if it's known to them that Mackie has threatened to come back mm-hmm. and kill Davy, they may be going like, well, then we aren't going anywhere near him because we don't want sure. Mackie to kill us. Yeah, too. that makes sense. Because I don't. I, oh, go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was just going to say the whole the whole last sequence to me on the second viewing felt more dreamlike than I thought when I first watched it. Because it did feel very clean in the way it was wrapping things up, where you had the two characters just like taking apart the house, the treehouse. They're they're kind of looking at them weirdly. You get the sense that they're not on speaking terms. At least you see the girl driving away with her parents kind of signifying that she's moving although they, there's no like moving truck it's just her in the car and he's like on his bike which is yeah i don't know i don't know how long how long has passed since the incident i don't know why he if he's at this point comfortable in riding his bike and doing his paper route <laughs> going back to normal yeah i don't know like so it just it did feel very like this might actually be happening but it's kind of representing all the changes that have taken place yeah, I didn't. I didn't think about it as being dreamlike because I think the scene right before that is where he's huddled in a ball and is like kind of and he's crying and is shattered. So I guess yeah, you could mm-hmm. interpret it. 
because the way it, so if you haven't seen the movie it, it bookends at the very beginning he's a paper boy and he's driving through town driving through his little cul-de-sac and he sees all of his friends and different people in the neighborhood and he's throwing out papers and he's narrating and at the end he's doing basically the same thing narrating but now everything has changed everything's fallen apart and that's one of the few like real issues i have with it uh because kind of goes with what eric said and like nate laughed at it it's i have a hard time buying that if this serial killer who's killed like 12 to 15 kids and has explicitly threatened this kid and has told him and everyone in town would have to know that at least the cops and certainly his parents why is that kid still out on a paper route like i feel like they wanted to force the ending to do that bookend of oh look how much it's changed in the course of this last hour and a half. But I thought it was a little false. And I, but I think you could have done the exact same ending, but he should have just been in a car. He should have been in a car yeah. and his parents are like, mm-hmm. are, are like, you know, they are, you can <clears throat> tell that his parents are fucking concerned and he's staring out the window. And so you go from the beginning of the movie, freedom of summer, riding my bike to now I'm basically imprisoned because otherwise yeah. I could be killed. You could do all the same stuff. He could see the girl drive away. He could see his friends dismantling the thing. He could see the foreclosed house. All that stuff you could still do, but you would not have the logical question of why are his parents letting him roam the neighborhood when a serial <laughs> killer wants him dead? Well, I, I didn't really think about the that aspect of it and the bike. My problem with the, the ending... Like, I, I get why they wanted to do something like that, because you see the treehouse and all the stuff you've been talking about, and that works well in the subverting of expectations, like you've been saying. I just did not like the narration, because it, it, it basically is, we just saw all this terrible stuff happen. Like we, so we are well aware just by watching the movie that yes, a serial killer can be your neighbor. Like there's lots of, like everyone has secrets, like things can like go bad. And then there's this narration that's basically like, in case you missed it, here's the point of the fucking movie just spelled out for you. And lots of movies do that. And it always, there are only like a few instances where I think it, it, it makes sense and is worthwhile, but it usually rubs you the wrong way. Cause it's just, it feels like the movie cannot trust us to internalize the message of watching a child get his throat slit and have a man like threaten this child and steal his childhood and still need all that pointed out to us. That's like, a message it, that Tim internalizes daily. He knows that message. I, I think apart from yeah, you're, I mean apart from like hammering home the point with that last narration, it also feels a little off because like the tone of his narration is not matching what we know his headspace currently because he's kind of like yeah, well things uh kind of go went sideways a bit, but that's life, and it's just like we know that you are like completely psychologically destroyed at this point, so like you speaking in this way is not <laughs> doesn't really match. How the Duke boy is going to get out of this one? <laughs> yeah, the narration at the end. Crazy Saturday here in town. Yeah, the narration <laughs> at the end definitely felt like the equivalent of the laugh track. It's like, yeah, we don't trust you to be able to come up with your own decisions, so let's tell you how to, how to react. Yeah. I, I guess I, I didn't feel it was as pandering. I, I think Tim's initial comment of a lot of movies do this, I would agree with that. It's like, yeah, it's not really needed. 
uh, or at least not needed in the way that it's presented. But yeah, it, it didn't ruin it for me. The the him riding the bike thing, I, even on my first viewing of it, I was like, wait, why? Why why are they letting him do this? And even <laughs> if you want to claim like, oh, 1980s parents were more permissive and you could, you know, like kids went and roamed the neighborhood. It's like, sure. But this guy literally is but, yeah. the, the paper the kid holds at the, the end is saying, is saying that Matt, the killer is still on the loose. I was willing to go. I was willing to overlook because like at, at a certain level, like there are all these missing kids. There is like a manhunt for this serial killer or like or these kids. It's an established fact that kids are going missing. And the movie just asks like, oh, but at the same time totally normal that all these kids go out in the middle of the night to play unsupervised. I, I was willing to roll with that because yeah, 80s, you know, parents were a lot more permissive and let their kids go out of the house and do that kind of stuff. So I was willing to roll with that throughout the majority of the movie as kind of a suspension of disbelief. You need that in order for this to work. But yeah, like you're saying, like to then carry that over to the end where explicit threats are made at a specific child and everyone's like, Oh, there he goes riding by riding his bike down the street. Just like always. Just they figure the killer will at least wait a couple years, you know, well, that's where I wanted to talk about sequels. <laughs> we, I mean, I'm thinking a sequel for summer like, 94. No, 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 no. I got one better. How about summer of Oh one. Things are right before 9-11. We're, we'll, we'll just get into that, touch into that stuff too. Like the nostalgia of pre-9-11 right at the cusp of hitting it. I mean, come on. So Actually, Nate, I was gonna... Nate's, uh, Nate's working on a screenplay, if you can't tell. <laughs> Actually, I was, I was to suggest winner of 84, because if you really want to fuck with someone, like, because he gives that speech, like, no matter what, like, who knows when it's going to happen. So yeah, the assumption is you're he's going to give you some time to stew. Oh, and this so will you're play thinking, off of uh, like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and all those yeah, killer so, Santa movies. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, but but instead, so so the kid is going to assume like, well, maybe I have a year, two years. He's going to give me some time. Like, no, come back like a month later because no one's going to expect it then. Because then, because then you're that's that's the period where you're kind of sleeping easy because you assume he's going to give you that time to sit and be afraid. Yeah, yeah, but then the killer finds out that he has cancer, so he's got to get it done quickly. So, no oh, man, we're getting to saw territory. Yeah. So, so uh, all right, stray thoughts, other things we didn't touch on, any trivia stuff, anything worth noting. One thing that I thought was interesting, especially considering this is going, this is tapping into that '80s nostalgia, is especially again compare it to Stranger Things. There was a surprising lack of. 80s pop culture references yeah. in this movie. There which are, I actually there are appreciated. Some. There are there some. are some. And I'm surprised you didn't bring this up, Litton. There's the out of order uh Polybius arcade cabinet. Oh, that's actually I was going to bring that up once I let you guys go around. Yeah, oh, they okay. they have a they have a Polybius. If you've never heard of it, it's a fictitious video game that was supposedly like controls your mind, the government's controlling your mind kind of thing. Um so it's an urban legend. Uh, but there's stuff that's circulated of the supposed art for it. So that's, there's a, a, a semi well-known 1980s looking title of Polybius that's getting, gotten attached to things. So they use that logo that's floated around the internet and they put it on an arcade cabinet and say it's out of order. So there's that playful aspect. I was looking at some trivia, I guess at some point somebody's drinking McCready's whiskey 
which would be a reference to the thing. That's uh, the kids uh, drinking it in the clubhouse. Okay, I, I didn't, I didn't catch it, but I, yeah, I mean, I missed that. Um, yeah, the there's some. Prometheus was the only only reference that I really picked up on. Well, there's some posters and stuff in the background of certain scenes. I um, did see a DOA Hardcore '81 poster, which is a '80s hardcore album that I'm familiar with. Um, so that was kind of cool, but I think it, it's it's. Noted as, it, as where they got the term for hardcore punk music is from that album. Okay. Um, so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. They ex- they explicitly mention watching Close Encounters. So you got a little bit oh, of yeah, there was that. there. There is one early on, though, where they um, there's a definite wink and a nudge where the other kids don't believe that Davey's story about there's a serial killer. They, they, it's before they jumped into it. And they're like, oh, this is nothing because Davey likes weekly world news stuff. But they say, uh, you know, it's it's like the time you wanted to cobble together a bunch of stuff and talk to the alien, a bunch of equipment and talk to aliens. Or when you said that, like, the neighborhood was built on an Indian burial ground. And then he says, like, well, it was built on Indian burial ground. So that's very much E.T. and Poltergeist. So, you know, I mean, which are Spielberg specific and, you know, also kids adventure. I mean, Poltergeist, not as much, but it has kids. So I think that those are like fairly explicit references to that time period. But yeah, I, I'd say it's, it's fairly light on those things, which I think is good. I think it gets yeah. pretty distracting if you do it all the time. Yeah, I, 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 I appreciated that, that they didn't roll like it's set in the 80s, but they're not rubbing your nose in it. So that was that was neat. I wonder what those. Uh, now I'm thinking those the, the whole wall of posters and, and magazine covers. I wonder what other movies are potentially thrown into those, like in the clubhouse or, and stuff. Well, in his room where he has them all pasted up all over the walls. Oh, okay, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I mean, there could be nothing, but I mean, seeing as they kind of mentioned a couple and there's little tiny hints here and there of things, I wonder if they mix them into those. Uh, yeah, the only other thing I'll throw out there is that the score is pretty solid. It has an 80s synth score, and mm-hmm. especially on a rewatch and listening to the score isolated on its own, it pops out as I, I feel they're trying to emulate a lot of scores of the time, but probably some Carpenter stuff. There's a track on the score called Mackie's Theme, which is when Mackie's giving the speech and threatening the kid, and it just gets heavy horror synth score like it it easily could be a john carpenter score at that point up to that the synth is like sometimes happy sometimes mysterious whatever but when things get serious you know like murder serious by the end uh they really kick it into gear so i would recommend the score for you soundhead junkie soundtrack junkies all right so would we recommend summer of 84 yeah yeah yeah, I would I would recommend it. I mostly because of the ending. I think up until the end it's just a so-so homage. And like mostly because I don't really like spending all that time with the kids and like I I when you brought up the whole like all the sexual stuff and like the innuendo how like that was kind of cluing into this is not just like a kid adventure. I, I understand it from that perspective, but the way it's so overly utilized made them all feel more one note. I think they're. I think you could have 
varied it up a little bit and given them additional personalities. So I think for me, that hurts the movie as a whole, but it's still worth watching because it does get to that crescendo at the end. And it is something that is very unique in terms of these kind of movies. I would recommend this just as a good movie. I think for horror fans, it's good. And for people who maybe are more averse to horror because it's not too frightening or too gory. Um, but the, but it's really well done. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I think, I mean, without the without the second ending there, I, I don't think I would have recommended this movie, but I think that's the purpose of it. I yeah. mean, they, that was the, the setting up the whole thing. Uh, I, I think it, I, I will say as somebody with kids, I know my wife could not watch this movie um, at all because um, kids in danger, she just won't do it. Um, granted, I mean, she won't, I mean, she hasn't even watched Stranger Things, but uh, I would say there's there's quite a few people that I know with kids that it's a lot harder for them to watch these types of movies, especially with the last 15 minutes. But uh, yeah, I, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. And it really, it, that, that was a good, good turn on the end. So yeah, I'd recommend it. Yeah, I, uh, as I said at the top, uh, this is my second viewing of it, so I think I appreciated it more the second time around. Because my first viewing of it, I felt, oh, it goes pretty much the way you would expect these things to go until it gives you this really surprising and gut punch of an ending. But yeah, watching it again and analyzing a little bit of how things are operating, I felt that there were elements that did differ, that they were setting you up in, in subtle ways for that so that it's not you know you aren't you aren't watching the goonies go on a zany adventure and then all of a sudden mikey's throat gets slit so you know you, right. they, they do have some subtle things that clue you in that you know this might be a world that has some more consequences or it might be our reality more so than you know the monster squad reality where it's like yeah there's monsters but we're gonna get them guys so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I, I did appreciate it more on a second viewing, and I think this uh, filmmaking team, I, I also saw Turbo, and I thought that was an interesting movie, so it's not my favorite, but interesting. So uh, I think these are some people to watch for sure. So yes, Summer of 84, I would definitely uh, I would definitely recommend, especially if you grew up on a lot of these 80s kids films, and if you're a horror fan, like Eric said, it's not explicit on the horror until we get near the end. It's a lot more about thriller mystery up to that point. But then once the horror kicks in, I mean, there's still only a couple scenes, but it it does get pretty graphic and chilling, you know, when it does. So yeah, summer of 84 is a recommendation for me and we will be back with our next selection for October for Halloween viewing with dead alive, the Peter Jackson film dead alive. So Join us next time.